Hello and welcome to Act to Age, a podcast where two adults dive into young adult books in order to discuss how their appeal transcends age and other boundaries. My name is Tasia. And I'm Corinne. And today we are talking about The Dream Thieves by Maggie Stiefvater, chapters 30 through the end. But before we get into the book, Corinne, what have you been obsessing about this week? So this week was kind of weird. I was like super busy at work and I felt like I just didn't have a lot of mental energy for like reading or anything like that. So I didn't really read much of anything besides this uh, book this week, but I did start watching many years after I feel like most people started watching The Expanse. I have plowed through like the first season and a half so far, and I'm really enjoying having a show that is propulsive in terms of like a lot of the action that's going on, but I like the characters and the the politics of it all. So that's been really fun to start watching and I'm excited to keep going with that. What about you? What are you into this week? Uh, well, like you, I haven't really had time to get into anything besides this book, first of all, because this book is um, very emotionally... <laughs> Yeah, like demanding of you, Um, Mm -hmm. but also because school started back this week and it's already kicking my ass. So I haven't really had time. I did start reading something else yesterday, which is something you've mentioned on the podcast before, which is roommate. Uh, Yes. Are the roommate. Rosie Dannon. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing right now. Very fun. Very fun. I mean, yeah, I, it's it was really unrealistic of us to think that we would have any other obsession this week besides this book, which, as we have said exactly. at length, is our <laughs> most favorite book in this series. And I finished, you know, last week we were talking about how we were kind of procrastinators on reading it, although I think both of us finished this earlier than we normally do. And now I've right. just been like sitting here anxiously awaiting the opportunity to continue on because we're trying to be really good about only reading up to where we're at in the podcast so we don't go too much into what happens in the other books. We're really just going off of memory of what we know from previous rereads of those other books. So I'm really excited to start Blue Lily Blue after that we finish this today. But that said, this book is, I just have so many thoughts and feelings about it. And they really have permeated all my thoughts this week. So I guess I'll do our quick book summary here in case you have not had a chance to finish reading this part of the book. And then we will dive right in. Adam and Gansey head to Gansey's parents' house for a congressional fundraiser for Gansey's mom and end up having an epic fight, after which Adam leaves the house and ends up miles away with no memory of how he got there. While they're gone, Ronan steals the pig and drag races with Kavinsky, wrecking the pig in the process. Ronan panics, but Kavinsky reveals that he, too, is a dreamer and begins to teach Ronan how to take things of his choosing from his dreams. In the process, Ronan realizes that stealing things from his dreams like Kavinsky isn't the answer. Instead, he asks for what he needs and is rewarded with an exact replica of the pig itself. Ronan also realized that his and Kavinsky's dreaming is sucking energy from the ley line and that this caused Caveswater to disappear. Adam and Blue finally break up after she confesses the truth about her curse and tells him it does not apply to him. With Persephone's help, Adam performs a ritual that better enables him to communicate and work with Cave's Water. Gansey and Blue have their first romantic moment but decide that they can't pursue things further. The Gray Man leads the others hunting for the Gray Warren, revealed to be Ronan, away from Henrietta, and has a final confrontation with his brother before returning to Henrietta. On the 4th of July, Ronan goes after Kavinsky after Kavinsky has kidnapped Matthew. Finally realizing that he does not need to fear his own night horrors, and after Adam is able to restore some balance to Cave's water, Ronan is able to pull one of his night horrors from his dreams and control it in a huge fight with Kavinsky's own dream dragon. 
Kavinsky ultimately allows himself to be killed by his own dream creature, and Ronan finally feels free of the self-loathing that had accompanied him to that point. The book ends with the revelation that Mora has gone missing, leaving a note behind that says, Glendower is underground, so am I. These books always end with the perfect little teaser for the next book. Like, it's not like strictly a, cl- a cliffhanger at all, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which prevents it from being really, really frustrating, but it is just like a perfect, juicy little nugget from the next book. That's a great way to describe it too. And we'll talk about it more, but we get more of Mora in this book. We've talked about a little bit last week with everything with her and the gray man. That's to me, a very compelling, sweet romance. And there's also some really good moments with her in blue. So it does feel like more of a, a, a substantial loss in that moment that she's just gone. But again, it's not one of our main characters, so it doesn't uh, make you feel like you're being deprived in any real way that you're just left with that little bit. Yeah, these books start and end with a banger each time. And I yep. uh, can't wait to talk about it. But let's not spend too much time talking about the, uh, the epilogue at this point. We'll get there because there's a lot to talk about. But I guess let's dive in and kind of resume some of our conversations from last week. The way that we did things last week was to talk about everyone else besides Ronan first so that we didn't do them a disservice because there is a lot here with everyone else, uh, even though this is uh, quote unquote the Ronin book. So I guess for me, I think the biggest person that we should talk about is Adam. There's a lot, a lot of Adam stuff in this book. Gotta talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because we've said to each other and we've said to like numerous people who are reading these books for the first time that this is the hardest Adam book. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's really a a tough read, but my feelings on it over time have changed. The first time I read this book, I was almost mad at Adam. And now I just love Adam so much that I'm just so upset for Adam and I'm mad at everyone else. Yeah. I had the pretty much the exact same experience the first time reading all of Adam's parts in this book, especially it was just really difficult to get through. He is just a really difficult person to like his, his perspective, not only is it super depressing, but it's also just like sometimes really cringy with the way he responds to things and the way he acts like he lashes out. Right. Um, It's just, it's just really hard to read, but like we've talked about before, it's really a matter of like coming to terms with Adam's trauma and understanding exactly how that influences everything that he says and does. Right. And once you really understand that and you, you allow yourself to really empathize with him, then all of these moments and, you know, it, it just comes down to it being about his trauma. Yeah. And for a book that really is, like I said, so much about Ronan and Ronan's arc, I think Adam has, if not, not a complete arc in this book, but it's the beginning of his complete arc for this series. And you see that the beginnings of him coming to terms with his trauma here in this book. And I think maybe the best way to go about it is just kind of go chronologically through the book, this back half of the book and kind of how it builds to that point. So we leave off with him or we left off with him and Gansey heading to the DC area to this congressional fundraiser, which Adam is going with because, you know, Gansey thinks there could be like an internship in it or something for him. There's going to be a lot of powerful people there. And it's hard to read this, these first couple chapters because, you know, they fly there in a helicopter, which again, is just the most extra. There's a lot of extra things about the Gansey family, but Helen's helicopter is 
definitely one of the most <laughs> topping the list. Yeah. They take the helicopter there, but then they get there and they have this nice moment in the car before they get to Gansey's house where Mallory, Gansey's old British friend, calls and they have him on speaker and they're just laughing. And it's just such a pure moment between the two of them that really makes what you know is coming if you've read this before harder to stomach. Oh God. Yeah. The the build up to that actual fight scene um at Gansey's parents' house is just so fraught. Just just because they're having such a good time before that and you know what's coming and you know how yeah. how much it's just gonna it's about to go into flames. And doesn't Gansey even think too like he looks at Adam like laughing. He's like, how do I keep how do I mm-hmm. keep him like this? He knows it's like they're just like a simmering pot at that point ready to boil over. Yeah. So then we have this couple of chapters where they're at this party. And on top of all of, you know, the interpersonal stuff that's going on, Adam is struggling with these visions of Cape's Water. And Cape's Water keeps, you know, butting into his life, for lack of a better word. You know, these visions keep showing up everywhere and he keeps hearing things. And so he's like in a really weird, like psychological state because of that. Right. Well, when you're already in, a weird psychological state because he's at this party where he's surrounded by all these rich affluent people and he feels like they can see the dirt beneath his fingernails. They can smell the motor oil on him. They can smell, you know, they can see the trailer park on him and he's already just feeling a lot of anxiety and a lot of resentment because of all of that. In addition to that, he's seeing all of these visions and he's getting these weird little hints and these, you know, hearing these voices in his head so, yeah, it's just kind of a a melting pot of disaster ready to ready to go. Yeah, there's so much good language, so many great passages in that part, though, where he's looking at all these people around him. And it's hard. And I think that this is on a surface level what makes Adam hard to comprehend. You see him in this chapter looking at all of these people and saying things like, you know, wondering if there was a true smile among this herd of animals. You know, he he's looking at everyone around him with disdain. He thinks about you know, what do any of these people know about the real world? You know, he thinks at one point about how Gansey's kind of bothered by some of these people too. And it thrills him that he can see that these people are getting to Gansey too. And he thinks how he hated them. He hates all these people. So it's really hard to look at Adam and say, dude, why, why are you trying so hard to, to be these people if you hate them so much? It's, right. it's really hard to, kind of justify that. And I think that he just thinks that that is against the way to get out. He think, he does think that. He thinks th- this is this is what you do. This is how you get out of Henrietta. But it's it's hard to see that because you hate these people too. You're, you're looking around and they do say something at you know, one point in there about how this is like there's someone who's a big Republican fundraiser. So, you know, as a, a being who I am, of course, that <laughs> makes me think like, yeah, oh God, I don't like these people either. Right, uh, so, and doubles down on the like, why do you want to be one of them, Adam? Exactly. Yeah. And so that's what makes it hard to read and initially sympathize with Adam. He also, at this point, still has a lot of these feelings of loathing towards Gansey and who Gansey becomes. You know, he thinks at one point he, and just like that, the Gansey who Adam had befriended, the Gansey who would do anything for, vanished. And in his place was the heir born with a silk umbilical cord wrapped around his blue-blooded neck. That's like very strong, kind of hateful language to think about someone that is your best friend. And again, 
it's not the true Gansey at that point, but yeah. And he also sees Gansey working the crowd and the way that everybody loves him and how he charms them. And he thinks about like, he's, he's mentally taking notes on this whole performance while completely resenting it, thinking about how like fake Gansey is, but also wanting to be him. And, and there's this moment where he thinks attention was building in him. Like the one that sometimes haunted him late at night where he wanted to save Gansey or be Gansey. Yeah. But then I like to, this is kind of like foreshadowing for the end of the book and kind of where his quote unquote mini arc in this book goes because he's talking to this woman and first she sees that he's like kind of afraid of him and he thinks, oh, she's figured it out like I'm from Henrietta. But then something changes and he thinks he had pulled off whatever strange alchemy Gansy had performed for perhaps the first time in his life. Someone was looking at him and seeing power and that is I think the heart of what Adam's issues are is that he doesn't feel like he has power. And he talks about this later and we'll get to it when he's going through this ritual with Persephone and he's trying to figure out his place with caves water. And it's really metaphorical for like his own journey, but that's what he's seeking, right? He wants power and control over his life in a way that he has never had before, but that doesn't make it any easier to read. It still is, is really frustrating. So that's where he's at the chapter at the party. It's before the fight. Um, I think we should also briefly mention the very creepy make way for the Raven King like stuff that starts happening. She just has such a a way of writing these really creepy moments that's that is so subtle and so frightening at like just a bone deep level. Yeah. But then at the same time, Adam thinks that these voices were the truest voices in the room that day or something like that so and it thrills him and Gansey because they they're hearing that confirmation of what they know is out there the you know here come make way for the raven king right this happens and then afterwards they have this the fight which is (laughs) it makes me sad because i just love them both so much but they are both saying bad things and doing the wrong things here yeah Gansey is doing this whole and Adam thinks of it in this way too like he's like trying to like get Adam to come out he's like keep your voice down like that type of thing which is like infuriating to Adam he's like what? that's right Gansey don't wake the baby yeah (laughs) and like I can see how that would be so frustrating for Adam to to have his very valid thoughts about things be hushed and diminished in that way and also Gansey just has a way of bringing these because Gansey has valid points too, but he has a way of bringing these up at just the worst possible moments. Like Adam's already in a bad frame of mind. There's all this weird shit going on. He thinks he's drunk. Like, and, and I think that's part of the influence of like the, whatever the ley line is doing to him. Yeah. And also maybe he has had some champagne. He doesn't even know if he's drunk or not. But I mean, Gansey just picks these worst possible moments to start these confrontations. Like this did not need to happen right now. Right. But then Adam is throwing things at Gansey too, about like how he's, this is exactly what he says them. And this is bad. And this is hard to read. You don't need him. I do. I'm not going to sit back and let someone else take my shot at this. And Gansey responds, Glendower was not yours, Adam. This was mine first. And that is what is really on the surface level very frustrating to me about Adam in this because, and we talked about this a little bit before, like this idea that the favor is not going to fix Adam. It's him accepting help from an outside source in the same way that he's unwilling to do with Gansey. But it's hard because you know that that is like the most important thing to Gansey in a lot of ways. I mean, 
he loves his friends, obviously, but the quest is really important to him. And it is his first. Mm -hmm. I mean, he literally died to be on this quest and to have somebody be like, this isn't yours. Right. And to be kind of hurtful. Right. And to look at it in terms of the end goal, this wish versus the quest is what has always been most appealing to Gansey. Yeah. And then this fight to, you know, Adam's thinking he was Adam Parrish, army of one Gansey raised by these adoring courtiers would never be able to understand that. You know, this idea too, that Adam is, he has to do everything himself, that he is a solitary being. And I think he does ultimately have to do things himself. And again, we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes, but at that point he's, it's just this, this, I just wrote trauma, like in all caps yeah. under that quote, because that's how it's manifesting itself in him. It's him thinking he has to do everything himself to the detriment of all these relationships around him. But Gansey is, is very frustrating in that fight too. And it's, it's so upsetting to see. I mean, Gansey is being super overbearing. Yeah. But it's hard because you know, it comes from a place of concern in a lot of ways. And there is, again, Ronan thinks about this too, and Ronan's devotion to Gansey is not something that's ever in question, but about how Gansey wants to have all of his things in its place. So it's, it, that's not mm-hmm. wrong. It, it is like a compulsion within him. Uh, and he can say that it's driven by love, and we can say that it's driven by love for all of them as much as we want. But for it Adam, is. that's not what it feels like because Adam right. has these deeply rooted in trauma control issues. Right. And he cannot he cannot bear the the thought of somebody else having any iota of control over him. Right. And then again, it just really does go to show that the issue is not at the end of the day, Adam not wanting to accept help because he does. He's fine with accepting help from Ronan, which may have its own other connotations when it comes to their relationship. But it's ultimately because it's not coming from an unbearing, overbearing place like it does come from Gansey. Right. I love this then too. So eventually like they find Adam who's like had this dissociative fugue state going on where he like Mm -hmm. wanders 10 miles away and the whole Gansey family is freaking out. I actually do like that moment, even though Gansey's parents say some like kind of awful things about being poor and thing like Mm -hmm. that. The fact that Gansey's father is like so concerned because Gansey's so concerned. He has so much love for his son, even though it could be, you know, it's flawed and it's wrapped up in these wealthy Republican <laughs> dressing it. He is immediately so concerned because this is his son's dear friend. And that is a big, right, he believes, obviously. he believes Adam has inherent worth because his son <laughs> yeah. believes it. So. Yeah. That, and, and that, that's the truth of Gansey. Like he loves Adam and believes he has worth. And so that's really nice. But then I love, so eventually they find him and it's horrible and they come up with this elaborate plot for his sister to give Adam a car which he accepts, which really goes to show how broken he is at that point. Like he's well, I think Helen is completely right too, because that was the right way to do it to to frame it in the way that it's like you're doing me a favor by taking this car for me, right? And, and also because he had you know disappeared and and messed with their their plans so much that he felt he owed them, so he accepted the car as part of that as well. Yeah. I think the only problem I see in that plan is is by playing that car off as Helen's college car, which there's no universe that exists in which Helen drove that car in any right. circumstance. She's a helicopter. Right. Right. It should <laughs> and, have been like a slightly out of year uh, Audi or something. Right. Well, and that's the same scene too, where, you know, 
Gansey's left the pagan Henrietta and has like a Land Rover or whatever, or suburban, a suburban like yeah. in, in his, at his parents' house. And Adam thinks about how, like, this is one of the first things he remembers thinking about Gansey's like two cars, like one's not even here. So, so for them to give him the shit boxes, it's later called in these books is, is, is a choice, but he takes it and he does think again, this is just heartbreaking Adam stuff. Like it was nothing, but it was Adam Parrish as nothing. Mm -hmm. like he has a car now he like does need the car in the same way he views his apartment yeah exactly so he's finally doing things on his own they're still not totally on his terms but he's starting to grasp some of that independence that he really needs and it's helpful to him but i love this imagery right before they leave to drive back to henrietta and gansey's you know talking with adam they don't really get into it at that point in terms of what happened but Gansey has a mint plant on the dashboard of his car and it says the mint plant p- placed on the dash appeared anxiously around Gansey's shoulder. I just, I love that imagery of this, something that's a very inherent Gansey quality is always eating the mint leaves and the idea of the plant just being anxious around Adam because that's how Gansey feels. Yeah. Great, great stuff. Great writing. I can't believe we haven't talked about the mint plant yet. Actually the mints. <laughs> I guess we haven't, huh? It's such a an odd, endearing tra- trait for Gansey. Well, and it's one of those great first clues at who Gansey is because when Blue first meets his spirit, he smells like mint. And then she yeah. realizes later that's him. That's not a spirit thing. That's a Gansey thing. Yeah. I did several months ago. I made some cocktail with mint and I tried this because I was like, what's, what's Gansey doing with these mint plants? He's obviously on something. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> why gansy eat some gum or a mint it candy. honestly it tastes more like leaf than it, it does, does like mint. Taste like leaf and like i don't i i don't understand it so so this happens that's where adam and and gansy lead off and then the next place we get adam is this awful awful fight with blue which broke my heart the first time i read this book it breaks my heart Every single time I read it, this I have held it together and not cried yet so far. Much on our Raven Cycle podcast, but I really have a hard time with this chapter. Um, it's a really rough look, rough look for both of them. Like, well, neither one of them is at their best right now, and both of them are hurting so badly in this moment too that it's just oh, it's so hard to read. Yeah, even like the like I said this on one of our earlier podcasts. You know, the first time you read through this series, you know like just how things are set up that it's going to be blue and gansy end game and we get more of this in this book where she's thinking about it that does not take away from the fact that this is just so upsetting you know adam comes in guns blazing you know he is already angry from everything that happened at gansy's party and and he comes in and he asks blue he's he's like i'm going to talk with her about the search for glendower because that's we need gansy is a tyrant with it. We need to have a more pragmatic approach to it. But instead he goes, I want you to tell me the truth about why you won't kiss me. And she's mad. And he thinks she was mad. Adam was glad of it. It was worse to be the only person angry, which is like the truth of Adam Parrish boiled down to like nothing. He's so angry all the time and no mm-hmm. one else is ever on that level. Yeah. He goes in there primed for a fight and it's, it's less awkward for him or it makes him look like less of a shithead when, the other person's kind of primed for it too. And for Blue, 
I think she's been putting off this conversation with Adam for so long. She's been playing it off as like, oh, like, how dare you ask me why I won't kiss you? Like, that's none of your business. And on one hand, sure. But on the other hand, it's a very valid question that he has if you're going to be with this person, you know? Well, and Adam's so, so smart she, too. He knows. Yeah, like he knows. He's not getting the whole truth. Right. And for somebody who already kind of hates himself and just feels like shit all of the time to have this additional thing that should be simple, but it isn't. And then she she gets mad because she's like, oh, well, you come in here and all you want to know is about kissing. And you know, I thought we were friends. What about this and this and blah, blah, blah. And, and friends talk. But the thing is, she's not thinking about her own shit when she says that because friends talk exactly your friends. So why haven't you told him Right. This very why you won't kiss thing. him. Exactly. And yeah, she's she's also keeping this huge thing from him. Right. And that's not fair either. Like he's not he's not talking about his abuse and he's not talking about his disappearance. And these are all much more private things than this thing that she has that also has by proxy kind of involves him. Right. Yeah. And and on top of all that, she's keeping the secret of knowledge of Gansey's imminent death from all of them. Oh, yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, that's so true. she, pot calling the kettle black is mm-hmm. Blue Sergeant in this scene. And she's taking that and she's projecting her feelings of frustration about uh, the whole Gansey of it all and how she's starting to have feelings for him. And she's just throwing them at Adam when it has nothing to do with it. I think she gets mad at him for not inviting her to this party when that wasn't his party to invite her to. Right. That was Gansey's mother's party. She should, And she never once brings it up to Gansey as something to be mad about, but she brings it up to Adam of all people. And he has an absolutely stupid fucking response to this, which is like, I think he says, there was no reason for you to be there. Like that is, he's saying that because he is just engaging in fight mode at this point. Right. And then it just escalates from there, right? Like, you know, she says to him, and this is really unfair because nothing about Adam Parrish and why he's wanted anything to do with blue has really ever indicated that this is the type of guy he is. But she says, well, I don't want to be just someone to kiss. I want to be a real friend too. Not just someone who's fun to have around because, because I have breasts and that's not, I mean that, yes, Mm -hmm. Adam has a crush on you and he likes you, but that's not fair to say that he only likes you because of that. But then what he says in return is something that is lobbed at her specifically because he knows it's going to get a rise out of her. Again, he Mm -hmm. does not believe this either. Gansey was right. You can really be a raging feminist. This is, they're deliberately he's literally go- just saying, yeah, he's literally just saying that to piss her off. Yeah, they're goading each other. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not good. I don't. And he's very right about, uh, like, after this, he says something like, none of this has any bearing on, on us, on what's going on between us right now. And he's right, because at the end of the day, what she's doing right now is she is throwing these things at him for other to have other reasons to have conflict with him because she's avoiding the real issue, right. which is that she doesn't want to kiss him. And it's not just because of the curse anymore. Right. But then uh, she finally tells him about the curse and he's, and she says, it's not going to be you. And he thinks to himself, it's not going to be you. He felt it like one of his father's punches, a moment of deadness and then blood rushing to the point of contact. And then it wasn't sadness, but the now familiar heat. It tore through him like an explosion, busting windows and devouring everything in an instantaneous blast. It So, like, that shows at that point that, again, she's projecting all these issues, but she doesn't realize the magnitude of of what a statement like that 
can what effect that can have on Adam mm-hmm. Parrish. Uh, <laughs> it's so upsetting. And then he he goes, I mean, his prove it is a bad luck uh, for I, him. I, uh, it's really bad. But you can see, and Blue can also see that in this moment, it isn't it isn't really about her. And and that's the thing to look back in at previous moments of theirs that when he pushes most for the kissing thing is when he's just at the lowest places, like right. emotionally. And so it's, and it's not about her. He wants to kiss her because he feels like shit and he wants to feel better. He wants to do anything that's going to make that feel better. Right. So even in this moment where he knows that she doesn't want to kiss him, he wants to be kissed because he is just in it. Yeah. The prove it is, is, <laughs> it's so upsetting to me. I just want to like read how it comes out here too, because it just, the way Maggie writes it is also so upsetting. Is that the truth? He asked. He asked it so quietly that the words came out gravely like a violin played too softly. Two more tears had queued up, but when she blinked, they remained in her eyes, shining little lakes. Not you. Not him with his shabby anger, his long silences, his brokenness. Not you. Look at you, Adam Gansey's voice said. Just look. Not you. Prove it, he whispered. What? Louder. Prove it. She started shaking her head. If it's not me, it's not going to do anything, is it? She shook her head harder. No, Adam. Louder. If it's not going to be me, Blue, it doesn't matter, does it? That's what you said. It's never going to be me. Miserably, she said, I don't want to hurt you, Adam. Either it's the truth or it's not. Ugh. And then it goes on. I don't want to kiss you. It's not going to be you and me, not you. Since the last time his father had hit him, Adam's left ear had been dead and unresponsive. No hissing, no static, just the absence of sensation. That's how his entire body felt now. So it's just, he wants to feel any sense of validation about who he is. And the kiss is the wrong way to do it. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's so heartbreaking to me. It's so hard. And And you something... I talked about in text, but um, you said that it was so important to read this moment from Adam's perspective because if it had just been from Blues, then he might have come up come across a lot differently. But it's much easier to empathize with him when it's from his perspective because you you know how broken he is and how he, right it's 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 not about the kiss. It's never really been about the kiss, right? And you know we had these moments too, both in the first. Uh, chapters that we discussed last week and then this moment too where adam is so angry he's driven to like violence and we know that again the benefit of being in his head is that we know that he's not he does not want to direct that violence at blue he he that's not what but he is mad and i like the the imagery of him just like gently punching the wall to like diffuse his anger is just Mm -hmm. i feel that i mean who i I have gotten that way too. I'm one of those people I get so frustrated. Like if I get mad at like something's wrong with myself when I like throw it across the room. Like, so I, uh, this is on like a whole other level with him. Uh, so that's all like really, really hard to read. But you had an interesting point too about like comparing this moment to the next time that Adam is involved in kissing in these books. Right. So and and this was something that I only really came to think about in this read, which is, I mean, these books are so rewarding and re- re- you get something new out of it like every time. I think there's a really interest, interesting contrast there between his attempted kisses with Blue and his eventual first kiss with Ronan. Here, like I said, it isn't even really about Blue. He wants a kiss, whether 
she wants one or not really. He wants it because he feels bad. He needs to feel better. He's trying to, he's reaching for anything that's going to make him feel better. And he wants, he just wants that pain to go away. Um, Like he said so many times, he just wants something to be simple. Right. And like even in the first book, when he wanted to kiss her after the hospital and, and the stuff with his dad and everything, and he tells her, I'm already all hurt up. And Blue even knows, I know, Blue even knows in that moment that it's not about her, that he just feels bad. Contrast that to later after he has his first kiss with Ronan and he rushes to Gansey um, because he needs to confirm his own feelings. So he asks Gansey, what is love? How do you know you're in love? Because he doesn't want to kiss Ronan for any other reason but that he wants to kiss Ronan. It has to be about the genuine feeling. He's trying to make sure, he's trying to confirm that he's not trying to kiss Ronan because of any external factors. Right. He wants to know that he wants to make sure he's not messing with Ronan or, or experimenting with Ronan. And he's not seeking validation from Ronan. Yeah, exactly. And and when Gansey says, Don't hurt him, Adam. Adam, that, that, and he says, like, why do you think I'm talking to you? And that's exactly why he doesn't want, because kissing Ronan for any reason besides genuine feeling for Ronan would be hurtful to Ronan. Yeah. And <laughs> I man, love that just, read so much. <laughs> it's emotional growth, man. You love to see it. Yeah. Uh, it's so good. It's such a great con. I, I love that read on it and looking at those two scenes in tandem like that, because it's that I can, we're going to talk about that scene so many times because it's so chewy and great and they're even king between the two of them. But I, I love that direct comparison. It, it's, yeah. oh, it's so good. But then I think the most interesting part about Adam stuff and the most rewarding thing for me each and every single time I read these books over and over again is the uh, ritual he does with Persephone in, in terms of, you know, c- coming to terms with this cave's water bargain. And for me, the first time I read this book series, all the caves water stuff, it's the most subtle metaphor, I think. You know, we have the whole Glendower quest and Gansey is one big metaphor, right? That has, it's very clear and how that's wrapped up in the Raven King of how that shakes out. We have Ronan's arc in this book, which is, you know, also very clearly metaphorical with these night horrors and how that all shakes out. But I think the caves water stuff is way more subtle and it's kind of a, a more uh, nuanced, like magical system. So it's harder, A, because Adam is Adam and he's, kind of a tough nut to crack and it takes reading him multiple times to understand him. But then the caves water stuff too, the first time around is just very murky, or at least it was to me. So then reading every time I read this chapter with Persephone or they perform the ritual, it blows me away because it's, it's subtle, but it's, it's there in terms of what it means for Adam. Mm -hmm. It starts even before they perform the ritual. She says, blue blue says, I'll come with you. And then it's right after they had the fight. So of course, for that reason, he doesn't want her to come with. But, you know, he's, he thinks to himself, if he went in by himself, it was nothing but this Adam Parrish. In a way, it had only been that. Sometimes the scenery changed. Sometimes the weather was better. But in the end, all he had was this Adam Parrish. And that's the truth of Adam and where he ultimately needs to go here. You know, we've talked a lot about, is it is it the money issue? Is it Gansey? Is it, is it, is it his trauma? What is it? And, it? and it all is true. But ultimately, what he needs to do and the only help that he's going to find for himself is coming to terms with who Adam Parrish is and, and being okay with who Adam Parrish is and moving on beyond that. And I think that's what he does in this ritual, right? Like mm-hmm. Persephone tells him, he asks, where are you inside yourself? It's only you that can help 
you inside. And he goes, is it safe? And she goes, it's the opposite of safe. And that's true for anyone who's just dealing and has, yeah. so, has so much self-hatred for themselves. And, you know, that's been quite literally beaten into him by his father. This, this, he has this horrible opposite feelings of safety when it comes to himself yeah. because that's what he's been taught. And, and it's so telling that the first thing that happens when he gets inside his own head is that, that hit from his father. And uh, I'll just read the part because it's, yeah, it's so good. It's something that really, it has stuck with me more than almost anything else in this series. Wait, Adam said, explaining, always about to explain as he struck the faded counter of their kitchen. It should have been done by now, the punch, but he seemed to be trapped inside it. He was the boy, the blow, the counter, the flaring anger that drove it all. This lived in him. This punch, the first time his father had ever hit him, was always being thrown somewhere in his head. Oh, man, it is. <laughs> I could cry <laughs> reading it because it's like, that's exact that if you had to pick one paragraph of like what Adam problems deal is, what his problems are in the first couple of books, that he's trapped in this horrible cycle mm-hmm. of trauma. He can't. And that's what his where his head is. And he has to separate that out. I think it's just and it's it's such a beautiful and terrible account of how that kind of abuse lives inside a person. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, one of, so he goes through this ritual and he, he has these moments of understanding as they're going through that things are going to be different now. He's going to be separate. He's going to be apart from the others. And that's just how it's always going to be. And that is, yes, it's about caves water. Like he's going somewhere without his friends that they're not going to be able to see. And he's going to be even more other than he already is. But that, that, that's the truth of who he is anyway. They all have their issues that we've talked about, but no one can totally relate to that same trauma that Adam has. That's his, mm-hmm. that's his burden to carry forward and, and deal with it. And, you know, he says then, you know, he would be Caves Water's hands and Caves Water's eyes, but he wouldn't be Caves Water. He would be Adam Parrish. And that's really what he needs to do. He wants to be his own man and he needs to, to find that sense of self and in Caves Water is ultimately the, the the way he's able to do it. And so he's come. I love the symbolism. Oh, it makes me gives me chills that I finally like have understood this chapter more. But like, you know, he this whole book, he's struggling with Caves Water and it's infiltrating all of his thoughts and it's it's all out of whack. And that's just such a great metaphor for all these other things that are going on. And he performs this ritual and it all locks into place where he knows how to control Caves Water. And that's unlocking where he can go for himself. I just, I love it so much, Tasia. Mm-hmm. I love it. And when Persephone says you're giving too much of yourself away and and that's true across his entire life, he's giving too much of his, his mental and emotional factories to, to his father and to, and to Gansey and to all these other things that he's allowing to continue to burden his, his mind. Yeah. But then afterwards, after they perform that, you know, he thinks world I'm coming. And it's just like such a beautiful rebirth moment. Mm-hmm. And it had been he thinks it's been so long since he felt like this where he wasn't thinking about when the next time he go to sleep was. You know, it, it echoes back to what we talked about last week. What do you want, Adam, to feel like I'm awake when my eyes are open? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's he's there. It's so, so when he bu- pulls that magician card and he feels that that sense of purpose finally in that power where he's like he is his own person he doesn't need to rely on anybody else for for validation anymore right and he thinks about this too this is when he's later than after the ritual he's realized you know caves water is struggling because the ley line is struggling and the ley line is being disrupted and and physically disrupted by like rocks and stones and things so he's 
out in the world with Persephone trying to remedy that. Uh, but he thinks at that point too, it felt good to have done to have identified the problem that had always been the hardest part with an engine with school with life. Solutions were easy once you knew what was in your way. And he's he's there. He's finally started to remove those own obstacles for himself. I just, I love it so much. And Persephone then, I love this full circle moment too with the magician card is, you know, he thinks that he doesn't have this power, right? I don't have the power. It's, I, I can't do it. It's caves water. It's not me. And she's like, the, the magician's power is being able to see all the different solutions and bringing them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, your power is not about other other things. Right. So to contrast that back to when he feels for the first time the sense of power when he's being like this fake version of Gansey to like reckoning with his own power and what that means. The magician can make anything magical is what Persephone says to him. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's so good. Adam, I love you. This is great. It's great stuff. I have a lot of feelings about it. You know, I we've talked before about how we're both like really big Adam Ronan fans. Like it's big ship for us. We just adore Adore them. And really, though, the first time I read this book, I said this right before we started recording, I ended up loving Adam because Ronan loved Adam and I loved Ronan so much. But every time I read these books over and over again, I just am blown away about how much I actually love Adam Parrish and his journey through these books is so good. So mm-hmm. good. And it starts so much earlier than I initially even thought on reread. I also love this, this pre- when after the whole ritual, um, I think Adam falls asleep for like 20 hours or something. And while he's downstairs sleeping on the couch, Blue thinks, and she thought about Adam still collapsed on their sofa downstairs. If he had no one to wrap their arms around him when he was sad, could he be forgiven for letting his anger lead him? I just have written in my notes, sad face emoji. Yeah. And yeah. But it's nice that like, I mean, Blue is, of course, in the moment, she's so angry in the fight. But then when she's thinking about it later, I think it's in a moment too, when her mom is like holding her. And she right. thinks about that. Like Adam didn't have, Adam had never had this in his entire life. Right. And so, we'll, talk, and we'll yeah. talk about the blue and Gansey moment here in a bit too. But when they go on this car ride, it's right after she's had this fight with Adam. It's while Adam's asleep. And it's when Gansey and her have this whole conversation about being wealthy and love and how that's something that she and Gansey had in common that Adam never had. And so I like too then that the, his friends are starting to understand it. I mean, she's calmed down by that point too. And she, I think is, she doesn't expressly think it, but she eventually, by the time she's with Gansey, she's like, okay, I can talk about it now. They're both kind of parsing through that, but I just, I love, I love that conversation and where they both with get to with that, you know, at or Gansey saying, I'm rich in support. So are you, you grew up loved, didn't you? And Gansey goes, I never doubted it. I never even thought to doubt it. And even Ronan grew up with that too, back when it mattered, when he was becoming the person he was, the age of reason or whatever. I wish you could have met him before, but growing up being told you can do anything. I used to think before I met you that it was about the money. Like I thought Adam's family was too poor for love. And then he goes on to say, I'm telling you I was stupid over it. I thought it was about trying so hard to survive that you didn't have time to be a good parent. Obviously that's not it because you and I were both wealthy and love it's so true yeah so i appreciate then that his friends are starting to be aware of what the problem is with adam and that and that's a big moment especially when you think back to that scene with the gansey family trying to figure out like how to help adam and his parents say some kind of awful things that are very classist and elitist and it's, it's nice to see, yeah, Gansey did have those thoughts. Like, he's a product of his upbringing. Mm-hmm. But now he realizes that that's not really the big 
issue. And this goes to kind of what we've talked about all along with Adam is that it is about the money, but it's not about the money at the same time. Like it makes it easier, but like, that's not the crux of the issue, but he's got love now. They all love him. It's going to be okay. And and even better, they, they understand him more and they can empathize. And, and when you know where somebody's kind of worst behaviors are coming from and you can empathize with them, that's, that's the first step. Yeah. Before we move on from Adam and what you can talk about more about with him and Ronan towards that when we talk more about Ronan, but there's some great Gansey foreshadowing moments in these more fraught scenes with Adam in terms of endgame stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. And you have one written down. I do. Yeah. So when Adam and Gansey are talking to that woman, Adam thinks... Adam knew that she had sensed that otherness to his friend, that sense that Gansey was both young and old, that he'd only just arrived or he'd always been. And that is obviously, um, as we'll come to learn, a product of his second rebirth on the ley line. Yeah. So Abe's water making him out of out of itself. Right. I love that. And then I love when Adam is going through the ritual and he again is seeing this the thing that he saw in the dream tree in the first book where, you know, Gansey has died and runs like, is this what you wanted? Are you happy now? And it's like terrible and awful, but he thinks he sees this again during the ritual and he goes, maybe this is the future, but it isn't the end. He thinks that that wasn't going to happen. Now he changed his future. He chose in a different way. Yeah. He's talking about like, I'm not going to let myself be burdened by this this fear that I'm going to like kill Gans anymore, but also literally that is the truth. Like that is the future, but it's not the end. Like Gansey is yeah. going to die at the end of this, but he's going to come back and it's going to be okay. Love it. Great stuff. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> I'm fired I, up today. I agree with you. I'm right with there. I'm right there with you. <clears throat> okay. So that is the Adam stuff. A lot of it. <laughs> Again, for a book that is Ronan's book, I'm just blown away by the the Adam stuff here. Uh, it's nearly equally Adam's book it, it because really, Adam has such a, a massive journey through this. Yeah. Like such an important one. Yeah. But let's talk, going back a little chronologically in the book, to the big Noah and Blue chapter, which is, as I put it in my notes, the Noah Blue kiss, aka the first time this series emotionally devastated me, because I have so many soft Noah feelings. That chapter is just beautiful. I don't know how else to say it. Again, them sneaking into Mama's manufacturing, Blue's first time there without anyone else there. It's all feel so elusive. They are so cute. Just like bopping around, digging through Gansey's shit, like yeah, chewing on mint leaves and rolling around on his bed, like yeah, it is very much kind of like they both have a crush on. Like his Noah wants to be Gansey. He says that that like break breaks my heart too because she Mm -hmm. says he says sometimes I pretend I'm like him. What part alive? Can't yeah, can't handle it. And it's hard because you know that Noah knows that like his purpose and like continue to come back is to set Gansy on this path and like how hard it must be for him to continue to circle through time. I mean, he doesn't really quite know that he's doing that, but he is there. He knows that his purpose is to set Gansy on this path yet. He still has to like live through Gansy's own life experiences and, and see what Gansy's going to get that second chance that 
Noah never did. It's just, it's really heartbreaking. Yeah. That's a direct result of Gansey. Exactly. (laughs) So upsetting. But then like, yeah, they start off like doing like such pure, simple things. Like they play some ridiculous games of pool and they like crab walk through the overhead aerial massive printout of Henrietta. But yeah, then they start doing like more illicit things. It's not even just that they like try the mint leaf. It's that... Blue takes one, puts it in her mouth, and then like blows like onto Noah Central. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get in the bed into Gansey's bed, which it always just cracks me up that Gansey's bed is just in the middle of just this, in like, the middle of space. the room. It's very odd. <laughs> it's like, why? But then they like when they lay down in the bed, that's the first time Blue lets herself think, I have a crush on Gansey. Mm hmm. Shit. Which made her realize that the opposite had to be true as well, that she did not have a crush on Adam. Yeah. Yeah. They just the lead up, she finally tells Nara about why she won't kiss Adam. And, you know, he's like, there's one person that you can kiss. And yeah. It's I just, love that he says <laughs> that. And she's like, huh? And that he, he looks amused and waits yeah. for her to like get it. Yeah. It's very yeah. cute. And he tries to, like, he's so nice. He tries to, like, parse through the logic of the curse. Like, is it if or when? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what? Which what is it going to be? Like, does it really matter? And then they realize it's probably the bad one. Though. Just when. You're going to yeah. immediately kill him if you if you do it. And uh, then he, like, they try to kiss him. And it's, like, so awkward. It's so endearing. And he says. So your lips have to, like, want to be kissed. Yeah, right. And he tells her to imagine a movie kiss. And instead of doing that, she imagines this tree kiss with Gansey, like from the dream tree, which I'm like, oh, blue, you got a bad yeah. girl. Uh, and then they finally, once they finally figure it out, it's just heartbreaking because she thinks, because there was nothing terrible about kissing Noah apart from him being cold. She let him kiss her and kissed him back until he pulled back on an elbow and clumsily wiped away some of her tears with the heel of his fist. I just just her, her crying over knowing now, knowing finally what she's really going to be missing out on her whole life. Yeah. It is so devastating. I have it. Ri- I have the whole thing written down as one of my favorite quotes, but I'll just yeah. read it now since we're talking about it. It's okay. And I have plenty of other favorite quotes. Yeah. Oh, thought Blue. So this is what I can't have. Not being able to kiss whoever she fell in love with didn't feel so different from not having a cell phone when everyone else at school did. It didn't feel very different from knowing she wasn't going to be studying ecology abroad for college or going abroad, period. It didn't feel very different from knowing that Cave's water was going to be the only extraordinary thing about her life, which was to say that it was unbearable, but she had to bear it anyway. I can't. It's... (laughs) It's so sad to cry right now. It makes me so sad. It makes me so sad for both of them in that moment. It's beautiful. Then, you know, he goes on to say, I'd ask you out if I was alive. And then the narration is just nothing was fair. I'd say, okay, she replied. And then on top of that, and rereading this too, you know, one of the things we talked about, we've talked before about how Noah is circling through time and blah, 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 blah. We haven't really talked about a lot is that the fact that after he slips from time at the end, they don't remember him. He's just gone. And there's a nice little moment. So of like, unnecessary. It, I can't. We'll, we'll say that for the Raven King and then yeah. into Call on the Hawk because that's when I realized what had happened and I'm still not okay about it. But after the kiss, uh, he starts to fade. He's fading in and out a lot in this book because the ley line is, is unstable. And she goes, it was hard to remember what he looked like even while she was looking at him. And it's really, you know, goes to show 
he points to how like after this book and after he finally slips from time, all their memories just kind of like rewrite themselves. Like he, he, and that he's not there. So like she's looking at him, but he's already mm-hmm. like fading from her memory. She can't remember what he looks like. And he's right there in front of her. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> okay. Let's move on before I actually start to cry. Talk about Sorry. blue and Gansey. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Look at us brain twins. Always on the same page. Always brain twinning. Yeah. Let's go ahead. What thoughts you got on our Gansey <laughs> here today? Well, I'll start with the aftermath of the fight with Adam and uh, mm-hmm. Gansey's fight with Adam mm-hmm. and the the moment after when he's he's thinking to himself, he was supposed to sleep on the couch, but there was no way he was going to sleep tonight after after that fight. And he's just really torn up about it. And he goes outside and he, I think it says like he wasn't like aware enough to to feel bad about about this. So he just called her and it says just the sound of her voice, the Henrietta little to it made him feel uneven and shattered. And I think this is a really early hint here of what Gansey will eventually tell Adam is the reason why he loves her that he makes, or she makes him quiet like Henrietta Yeah, and just hearing her voice and hearing just the, you know, mundane things that are happening in her house is enough to calm him down after that huge fight and, enough for him to go to sleep yeah and then she does kind of the same thing when she has her fight with adam mm-hmm. she calls gansey and just asks him take me somewhere and they go on this car ride and we will save some of the quotes for our swoon section because it's yeah. very swoony but they go on this car ride and you know they have this realization that they you know they can't do this to adam it's just not fair, um, but it's it's a really beautiful scene. Uh, again, we'll talk about it. But I also then love the aftermath of that scene. You know, we talked about this before with Mora, who you know, Blue comes back and she's in her bed and she's crying, and Mora crawls in behind her and she goes, "Are you crying? Did something bad happen?" And she says, "Not, not yet." yet. <laughs> and Mora says, "Ah, oh, Blue. Oh, it's so yeah. it's so sad." And, and that's when, like she said, she thinks about the the idea that Adam didn't have this growing up and that's just really sad. And then like, even in the car, you know, they have that rich and love conversation, which we talked about and, you know, blue asked Nancy, did you ever meet Adam's parents? And Gansey says, I hate them. The bruises he'd come to school with. Who has he ever had to love him ever? It's just, it's, it's, it's nice that they are cognizant of what their friend is going through. And, you know, I, it's, it's funny because I do really love this scene. It's one of my, favorite scenes in the series for sure it's one of the most objectively romantic scenes in the series mm-hmm. but it is also like the more you read it you're kind of like this is like not the time friends <laughs> like you yeah so i appreciate that they are cognizant of that and they're aware of that and they're like we should not be doing this and that they are at least coming to an understanding about adam during that time and at least for now they're going to put a, a, a pause on things but you know fate gonna keep coming yeah. for you friends and I do, I I also like the contrast there where whenever she's with Adam and they're like hugging or touching in some way and she feels like she doesn't know what to do with her hands. Um, and she doesn't know how how her body is supposed to be reacting to this. But then when she's with Gansey, it's the complete opposite. And she thinks it wasn't like when she was with Adam, she didn't have to guess what to do with her hands. They knew this was what it should have felt like with Adam, less like play acting and more like a foregone conclusion. Yeah. That right there is her and Gansey wrapped up it's a foregone conclusion yeah that's a really good point i love that it is though 
again, we've talked about this before too here on this podcast and together just in life about our struggles with blue. Sometimes I do think again, her like immaturity here comes across in she also, it's not even just uh, immaturity, her like go-to when someone like pokes at her is she just gets very defensive. So like, you know, Kansas trying to have this very nice conversation with her about Adam and the differences between them. And he, she goes, you know, well, you know, yeah, cause let's all, all us poor people are all the same. And she's, and he's like, no, blue, like, listen to what I'm, you know, that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And I like them, the symmetry with this idea of the pocket knife, uh, the switchblade that Mr. Gray brings to Mora and then he gives to Blue. You know, she ultimately is like taking the switchblade a- around with her and she says she's decidedly uncomfortable with the switchblade, although she very much liked the idea of it. Blue Sergeant, Desperado, Blue Sergeant, Superhero, Blue Sergeant, Badass. She suspected that the only thing she would cut the first time she opened it was herself. And, you know, after Adam goes into the reading room to do this ritual with Persephone, she flips it open for the first time and she it obligingly attacked her like that immediately (laughs) happens. And later she thinks about how she can't open up to anyone without hurting them, which is kind of what happens with her and Adam. Exactly. She finally tells him and she doesn't have the vocabulary to do it in a way that's like gentle and it it does hurt him. So Mm. I I like the, the symbolism of this, the switchblade here and how, how blue is like the personification of it in a lot of ways here. And that's probably one of the reasons why Persephone, when she first saw it, because the gray man brought it from Mora Mm -hmm. and Persephone in her infinite wisdom was like, give that to blue. Yeah. Yeah. And blue's uncomfortable with like, she's like, that's illegal to have switchblades. And Mora's like, so is crime. And it does kind of, that kind of does illustrate again, we talked about this last or in our first episode too, is that blue tends to think of things in like a very binary way. She doesn't have mm-hmm. the most evolved and like nuanced way of thinking about some of these things, especially when it comes to the boys and her feelings on them. And again, I think it does, it is a little bit of an immaturity type thing, but that's, it's just another example of that. Like, yeah, like you, it's not illegal to have these, but like there's all these break-ins happening in Henrietta, all these people coming to look for the gray war and like, you need to protect yourself. Like, which I don't, I don't like that argument generally, like when it comes to like gun control, but like, right. Yeah, and it's just, it shows that she just has a very kind of black and white way of thinking. And she's got to start I looking I think another example of that is, is when Mr. Gray comes over and they're all sitting around the table and Mr. Gray offers to go and talk to Kavinsky and Blue says, yes, please. And can you make him feel worthless while you do it? And more is like, Blue, I didn't raise you to to be like that, to be violent. And it's it's literally just because she doesn't, she personally does not like Kavinsky. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know half of, of Kavinsky. She knows that he scares her and she knows that she was for some reason upset when he didn't hit on her. So there's obviously like a big feeling, like she has a lot of feelings about Kavinsky, but, and I think at one point she also says, you know, oh, what is, what is a drug, uh, drug addict want? Nothing. And Morris very wisely says, sometimes everything. Blue has such a binary. She's like, Joseph Kavinsky, bad. Go do whatever you want to him. And I think that if Kavinsky had had fewer of those kinds of people in his life growing up, he might have turned out differently. Right. Yeah. And so I I really don't like Blue's way of looking. I mean, Kavinsky, yeah, bad guy. But that is not how you how you handle people that are suffering and people that have addiction problems and people that, yeah. Right. And, like you know, Ronan's kind of, kind of that too and we'll talk about it but and one of the things i do like about her and gansey you know they obviously 
their relationship again it's the most overtly romantic one in the series but i do like the idea that blue being with gansey kind of opens her up to these things we see this in the car scene he is the one who is like we can't do this adam and is explaining this whole idea of being wealthy and love to her so he's he's got a little bit more of that emotional maturity and and what that means and is is telling her about it you know she she still wants this idea of something more and she is still really driven by that and is i would say maybe less concerned than gansey at that moment about what it means for the rest of their friend group if this happens her concern is about the fact that Gans is going to die and she wants to kiss him and that will also kill him. So she's struggling more with that than like how it affects the outsider. So I like to think that Gansey balances her and kind of educates her about some of these things. This makes it seem like I don't like blue, but I do like blue, but I just think, well, I think she has that effect on him too, because he does say a lot of stupid shit. He does put his foot in his mouth a lot and, and her, kind of snap snappiness at him it does make him think about his words a lot more before he before he uses them yeah so yeah we'll talk about that scene and at the end but yeah they're they're barreling towards something here in this book mm-hmm. and it'll come to head in the next next two i think the last big topic to talk about before we get into the ruining of it all is mr gray love mr gray it's great stuff mm-hmm. here you know his his arc in a lot of ways in this book is very finite. This whole conflict he has with his brother, who's a sociopath and has kind of driven him into this, this lifestyle that he doesn't feel super comfortable with anymore. is just really interesting to read. And it's most interesting when you directly compare it to Ronan and Gansey and them being brothers, just, you know, not biologically, but they are brothers in every sense of the word. And he obviously has a, a thing about brothers. Yes. And it's what he studied in in school and academia and everything. Yes. So I, I just really like where, you know, he just has some really great moments where he finally figures out that the Grey Warren is not a thing. It's a person and it's, it's Ronan. And his realization that he didn't want to kidnap a boy. He didn't want to anger Mora. He wanted, he just wanted cicada sing madly from the trees. It was so impossibly summer. He wanted to stay. I, I love that. That's like a beautiful passage, but I just like mm-hmm. love that this realization of, of who he, he doesn't need to keep running from this. And Mora says, you're going to have to be brave. And he says, I'm always brave. And she's like, no braver than that. He has to kind of come to this final confrontation with his brother in order to finally yeah. be free of that. I think there's the beautiful moment. I um, mean, my most favorite moment with him is when he really thinks about him, himself in in terms of like three different identities. There was Dean Allen, who he had thrown away. Dean Allen, the the weak, frightened younger brother of a sociopath. Dean Allen, also the academic, and he had discarded Dean Allen in favor of the gray man, who was a pragmatic, a hitman the weapon of Colin Greenmantle. And he thinks about both of those identities and how neither of them felt right for him anymore. And that he wanted, he wanted to stay. He wanted to escape Greenmantle. He wanted to be with Mora. And this was this new identity that he had adopted since, since coming to Henrietta and meeting Mora and the one who had wanted to stay with Mora, that was Mr. Gray. 
So he's adopted this new identity now, and it's made up of pieces of the other two identities. Yeah. Instead of fully discarding them or being, you know, somebody completely different. Yeah. I just love him a lot. Yeah, I do love him a lot. I love like his his softness towards Blue. You know, like he said he threatens to beat up Kaminsky, and then he also kind of intimates that he'll like beat up Gansey too. And she's just like, it's not necessary yet. <laughs> she's he he at that point they think that she and Gansey have fought, and it's not that she's just like trying to stay away from him after their car date. But then I also have a lot of really weird soft feelings about Mr. Gray and Ronan because as we talked about last week, Mr. Gray killed Niall Lynch. Ronan loved Niall Lynch a lot. And you know, the scene I love that scene where they finally all come together. They decide they're gonna put a plan in action here. All these things are happening at once. People are converging upon Henrietta. They know the Gray Warren is there. Mr. Grace Boss, Colin Greenmantle, who we'll get more of in the next book. Uh, one of my favorite villains. He's so fun. He's so fun. Sociopath, maybe also, but fun. Yeah. Uh, he He's, you know, circling too. So everything's kind of coming to a head and they go to the B&B where Mr. Gray is staying. And I just, that scene's got some great Calla and Ronan moments too. It's like, shockingly, this all turns to your charm to convince Mr. Gray not to kidnap you. But then it comes out that Mr. Gray basically admits to killing Niall and he just like lets Ronan have a go at him. Mm-hmm. It's very endearing to me. And then the line is at one point, like, then the gray man gently threw Ronan across the table. Yeah. It's, he's just, he's letting him have his moment. And I forget whose POV we're in at that point, but they're just kind of watching it. Like Ronan's getting punches in, but is, is it because we Mr. Were Gray's in, letting him? Yeah. I think we were in Ronan's and Ronan can't really tell if, if Mr. Gray is fighting. But I mean, Ronan's also never seen Mr. Gray fight. I don't think any of them have seen Mr. Gray fight. In yeah. reality. But I think what's really interesting about that is, um, and it made me question a lot whether there was some sort of psychic connection between Ronan and his father. Because when he first sees Mr. Gray, before before he attacks him, before he finds out that Mr. Gray killed Niall, he says, or he thinks, when he first sees him, it, it almost feels like he's seeing him from Niall's perspective or with My- uh, Niall's memories. And... Mm. He thinks Ronan was suddenly afraid of him. He was afraid of him in the same way that, that he was afraid of the night horse because they had killed him before and they would kill him again. And he precisely remembered the pain of each death. He felt the fear in his chest and in his face and in the back of his head, sharp and singing like a tire iron. Oh, wow. So he describes it as like, oh, he he remembers Nia, or he remembers Mr. Gray killing him before, remembers the feeling of a tire iron. So I don't know if that is... I mean, obviously it's intentional. Obviously it's a callback to Mr. Gray killing Niall, but Ronan doesn't know that yet. So the way, the fact that he describes it in that way, it feels like he, I, I don't know how how that works. Yeah. He, he's looking at it through like Niall's memory. That's really interesting too. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it in the Ronan section too, because there's a lot of like stuff with him and Niall that comes up too. But I think it, a lot of his problems with being a dreamer are manifest and what that means for him he's the gray war and he's, he's better than his father and he's better than Kavinsky. Well, I guess just to like wrap up then with Ronan and the gray man, I think I like them is when like Gansey calls Fox way and they're like, okay, well, you know, Mr. Gray has to leave town. Like what car is he going to use? 
And Mora's like, oh, uh, Gansey said there's like a Mitsubishi that they can use, which is what Kaminsky had brought to Ronan. And she's like, oh, that's a great idea. And Gansey says, you know, it was actually Ronan's idea. So I like that they like come to this symbiotic mm-hmm. temporary peace. It's definitely an uneasy one, but it's, sure. and, and it would have to be, of course. Right. But it's still, God, what does that say for Ronan's character that he's still willing to help this man who killed the the person Ronan loved most in the whole world? Yeah. It shows where he's going and where he's kind of come in his journey and his, you know, earlier Ronan, book one Ronan, would have immediately thrown himself into trying to destroy the gray man. But yeah. he's already come to a place at that point where he is feeling more confident in himself. He realizes that he needs to help the gray man to save himself and he's worth saving. He's getting, he's starting to feel he's, he's worth saving mm-hmm. himself. I also think it just shows like how deep down Ronan is, is just, a really good person like he's he's a soft boy this person who did him wronger than anyone else could have ever done right and he's still he's still willing to to help him yes and he i mean we know this in the next book he does get his his comeuppance against the real at fault party Mm -hmm. the the wielder of the weapon that is mr gray which is colin Greenmantle, who ordered him to kill now so we'll get there but all right, an hour plus in. Let's, are we already an hour plus in? Oh, yeah, we are. <laughs> Let's, this flies right by. It does. It really does. Let's talk about our buddy Ronan. Oh, God. Like, <laughs> really, really satisfying stuff here. I mean, let's I don't even know where to start. Yeah, I don't even know where to start. Okay, so I want to talk about some like easy quote unquote easier things here. I like a lot of the uh, chainsaw stuff here that we get. You know, I I like and it's it's kind of smaller in comparison to like the big sweeping arc that is Ronan's story here. But you know, there's this scene where Ronan or where Chainsaw is trying to hide a cheese cracker that she took so that Ronan won't take it back. And she's like piling all these like this is one Other of my favorite scenes. It is so cute. The the way that Maggie gives Chainsaw such personality. Yeah. And I, I like it too, though, because again, we've talked about how Chainsaw is like a manifestation of, of Ronan's soul in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. And it kind of is akin to like what Ronan does a lot is that he kind of does bury and kind of hide some of his his feelings. This is a book about him and his secrets. And that's what Chainsaw is doing. Chainsaw want, has this cracker. It's a very... Uh, simplistic symbol compared to all of Ronan's secret, uh-huh. but she's trying to hide and she's trying to keep it safe. And and that's kind of what Ronan does. So I like that scene. And then like later, Ronan thinks that he was abruptly satisfied with her as a dream creature. He hadn't even asked for her. His subconscious had just for once sent him something nice instead of homicidal. And that's the, that's the core of who Ronan is. He is mm-hmm. such a good boy. And yeah, and we've talked about it before, how, how Chainsaw is his his heart laid bare. And, yeah. uh, and th- I love that when he attacks Mr. Gray, Chainsaw immediately joins the fight. I know. It's, so it's just, it's so nice. Chainsaw. We love you, Chainsaw. I also like here how um, there are early hints about Matthew's origin too. Yes. He thinks Matthew pressed up against Ronan's side, reminding Ronan of Chainsaw when she was frightened. And I think that's, all, that's a hint toward Matthew's dream origin because yeah. uh, Ronan's dream creatures aside from the night horrors tend to pretty much universally love him. Right. And 
there's a lot of comparisons. Like the, I think at one point, both Chainsaw and Matthew get distracted by like a butterfly or something. Mm-hmm. They are very, very similar. Yeah. And they are both reflections of the goodness that is that is Ronan. Like yeah. Ronan wanted a an uncomplicated happy brother. So right. he made himself one. He wanted something to make him happy. These are these these are reflections of his inner goodness, really. Yeah. I like them too though, when they go they go back to the barns and this is when Mr. Gray breaks in and uh, steals the box that has like the languages in it. And he takes that and they're hiding there. But when they first get there, Matthew, like there's, I forget what the passage is exactly, but he doesn't like know how to interact with his mom. Who's like still kind of laying there comatose. And it basically like intimates that like Matthew doesn't have that ability for like more depth of feeling. So he just like leaves and he goes upstairs. And I think that- it says Matthew's affection was a sloppy demonstrative thing. Yeah. So like he just didn't know what to do with yeah. with a comatose mother. Right. And that is indicative of the fact that Ronan dreamt Matthew when he was very young. Mm-hmm. And that's why Matthew does not have some of the more depth of feeling. He doesn't have a whole lot of complexity. Because Ronan didn't have complexity when he dropped And him, Kavinsky so. brings this up later too when he thinks when Ronan's like, you're not going to get away with this. And Kavinsky says, I got away with dear old dad and Prokopenko and no offense to your brother, but they were a lot more complicated. Yeah. And that's yeah. because Matthew was created when Ronan was a baby and Ronan did not have the the mental facilities to, to make a fully formed human being. Yeah. Uh, poor Matthew. It's a pawn <laughs> in this book. He's a pawn between the two Lynch brothers all the time too. We do have that good scene. With Ronan and Declan in the church, again, is just very fraught, too. But again, you know, Declan says, I know who you are, which, again, I think is, as we talked a little bit about last week, we know we know that Declan knows that Ronan's a dreamer. And we also think that Declan knows that Ronan is gay. And I think mm-hmm. that that's, like, a lot of things that are coming up there. So everything Declan says is, like, a double entendre. Yeah. In a lot of ways. But let's, I guess, then we'll, we'll dive into the everything Kavinsky in the back half of this book, because it is so good. <laughs> so good uh first though i wanted to ask why do you think that ronan is so obsessed with the idea of taking the pig i think it's partly because ronan is a child and he wants what he's told he can't have so i think if if gansey had way back when he first got the pig allowed ronan to drive it just you know, take it for a spin around the block, Ronan would not be half as interested in it. Yeah. I think a, a lot of it is that. And I think a lot of it is also that the pig, like Chainsaw, is Gansey's heart laid bare, right? Yeah. So I think there's something to Ronan's desire to to take that. Yeah. It's a good point. Your first point about like being like how it's very just kind of a childish thing. I think mm-hmm. it's to the most Declan like thing about Gansey in terms of his relationship with Ronan like he gives Gansey gives Ronan a lot more leeway than Declan does but that's his one hard no mm-hmm. and we're and Declan has so many no's that he's put up around Ronan and Ronan pushes back on all of them so it makes sense that he's going to push back against the one thing that right Gansey tells him he cannot do I think at the end of the day Ronan is kind of a little shit and he yeah, just yes He's our little shit, though. He is. We we love him. Yeah. Uh, but his horror at what happens to the pig, though, is 
is very heartbreaking because he knows what that means to Gansey. I love mm-hmm. the line where he thinks about Carr was Gansey's religion and Ronan founded a worthy God. I love that line. He mm-hmm. So he knows exactly what the pig means to Gansey. And it's absolutely terrible that he, he does this to Gansey. But it is the catalyst then for this whole very juicy exchange in, in scenes with, with Kaminsky. Yeah. Which I just really love. I don't even know where to start with them, honestly. <laughs> so I like, I guess we can start, obviously, first they drag race and the pig before he destroys it. Mm-hmm. And I like at that point, too, this is really like the breaking point where I think Ronan can go either way. We talked about that dream last week. Is it going to be Adam? Is it going to be Kavinsky? Is he, he's going to allow Kavinsky to consume him as he does at the end of that dream when he swallows the the tattoo and Ronan's disappeared. And at the beginning, we kind of are getting some of that when they start drag racing for a single second, Ronan allowed himself to think of his father in the barns and his dreams stretching out before him full of impossible things. He allowed himself to think about the part of himself that was a bomb, the wick burning fast and destructive, nearly gone. Want was eating him alive. So he's at that precipice, right? Like he Mm -hmm. is at that moment where this could be it. You know, he could allow himself to, go the path of Kavinsky. And he continues that as he's, he's, he's racing, you know, the nothingness he feels in that scene, you know, Ronan felt nothing but uncomplicated happiness, a dead and empty place in his heart where he needed nothing else. That's kind of what Kavinsky is at that point. Yeah. He, he, and I think dead and empty are important keywords there. I right. also think it's, it's important to note that this is when the night horrors come back. Right. A moment where he's done something terrible as in Steal the Pig, where he's drag raced Kavinsky and worst of all, lost to Kavinsky. Yeah. And it just seems like it's it's a perfect moment right. for his self-hatred to come rearing right. its ugly head. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because, you know, he says again, there was nothing inside Ronan, glorious nothing behind that more nothing. He's still like burying these secrets deep mm-hmm. within himself at that point. And the night horrors prey on that. And that's yeah. why they come. He's exactly. pushed that down. He's, and it just goes to show too that everything with Kavinsky is it's thrilling, but it's hollow. There, yeah. It's nothing. It's, it's absolutely nothing. And then, you know, so he has, so they crashes the pig and it's awful. And I also like love Noah during all this poor Noah. He can't do anything. He can't do anything about it. I- I'm going to tell Gansy and like, he can't. He's <laughs> like in Virginia. It's poor. Oh, um, and Noah's like, Noah. I don't want to watch you die. Uh, I can't. Well, and then like Noah, he helps in getting the night horrors like yeah, distracted. He pulls, he pulls one of them off or something, and then the car runs the bundle over. And, and Ronan has that moment where he's frantically reminding himself that Noah's already dead, that he's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's hard to see him because you know what it means to take Gansy. And, and Ronan knows that. He's very kind of mm-hmm. and he's, you know, totally uncomfortable and he's terrified that he has done this. And at the and of same course, time, in that moment, Kavinsky shows up. Kavinsky shows up and he kills the night horror with a gun. And he's like, BT Dobbs, I'm a dreamer. And it's like, whoa, yeah. mind blown. But then again, you're starting to see the, he, he's still in this deciding point, Ronan. It's they, he's in the Mitsubishi with Kavinsky at that point. And Ronan thinks that he doesn't know if he loved it or hated it and how it was everything that he dreamt it could be. But like, is it what he wants? Yeah. Love how Ronan's Ronan's thinking. They didn't speak. Ronan didn't know what he would say anyway. It felt like anything could happen. All of his secrets felt dangerously close to the surface. And when you think about all of his secrets, like the dreaming, the dreaming, the fact that he's gay, all of them, and they are, they're right there on the surface and they're about to 
to get explored more. So right. that was a very astute observation of Ronan's. Right. And so then they start dreaming. And Kavinsky's method of dreaming is already fraught because he's taking pills to force mm-hmm. himself into like the dreamscape. His whole thing is that, you know, you got to be in and out quick and to steal things from his dreams. And they spent a lot, they spent a lot of time just going back and forth through it. And Kaminsky is helpful to Ronan in a lot of ways. Does go to show that Kaminsky isn't totally worthless. I think there is something to him by the end. There isn't, but he is very helpful to Ronan in I don't think that Ronan could have come to terms with who he was as a dreamer and how to control that power without Kavinsky. Right. And I think, yeah, it's important that even though Ronan eventually decides that Kavinsky's method will not be his own, he needed to learn that method to understand that that was not the one that he wanted, that there was a better way. And he wouldn't have figured that out or it would have taken him much longer to figure that out if Kavinsky hadn't just sort of thrown him in the deep end. Right. Exactly. And so they go through all of that, but Ronan finally has the realization that he's not like Kavinsky. And that's the turning Mm -hmm. point, right? It says, but he didn't hide this time. He wasn't a thief. Instead, he stood rising from his hiding place. The dream suddenly aware shuddered around him, flickered. The trees leaned away. He hadn't stolen chainsaw, the truest thing he'd ever taken from a dream. He wasn't going to steal the car. Not this time. And so then he communicates to them. He's like, I am asking this from you, please. And Mm -hmm. it's, that's the, key difference at the end between him and and he realizes that's what differentiates between himself and Kavinsky and his father too Mm -hmm. and that's why he's the gray warren and they are not they are dream thieves or they are just dreamers right and that I think you know it's funny at the same time as all this is happening fucking Kavinsky is texting Gansey who's still at his parents house and like is sending him a dick pic from Ronan's okay can we talk about that briefly because so he sends it from Ronan's phone and it's uh-huh. a dick pic with the Irish flag wrapped around it and Gansey says something about like it wasn't the most like offensive graphic photo he'd ever seen but it was pretty close I'm like what else have you seen Gansey well I think he says it wasn't the most like grotesque display of nationalism there, there he'd go. ever there seen so you. I think I think that that leaves I you know maybe a more grotesque form of nationalism is like you know Nazism Every- and yeah. and everything <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> sure. We could just look out the window right now and look at, uh, or um, on a more basic level, um, everything that his parents stand for, maybe like some right, right, exactly. I mean, there are plenty of things I, w- I would, plenty of dick pics I would rather see yeah. than uh, what's <laughs> happening in the real world, honestly. <laughs> True, but I like them too. You know, Gansey is having this moment where he's also trying to sort through like who Ronan is versus Kavinsky, and he thinks, you know, at that moment, Gansey's memory of Ronan, his filthy smile, didn't look very different from Joseph Kavinsky and his matching dirty grin. Gansey had to remind himself that they had very important differences. Ronan was broken. Ronan was fixable. Ronan had a soul. So I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to in a lot of ways. I also love that or that Gansey's having this realization while he's having a conversation with one of his mom's political like cronies about local food sourcing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually think that it you know brings business to the local area in a way that's really like, the You'll two just have to get literally. used to the seasonality of fruits <laughs> <laughs> and vegetables that people have come to expect year round. Such a nerd. I love him. I love him. So Ronan has this realization, right? But then. You know, one of the things that is really striking to me every time I read this book is I do have like more and more Kavinsky feelings. I feel bad. I do. You know, I find Kavinsky a really compelling character. And I think 
not just because of the function that he serves in this story, which I think is a really important one. We wouldn't have Ronan's arc here if if it weren't at least in part right. because of Kavinsky. And, and it, also he's he's just kind of a he's a really tragic figure. Right. And he's just at the end of the I mean, he is in love with Ronan, but he is such a messed up person right. that he has no way of really displaying that in a healthy way. And obviously he hasn't he's had a terrible life. Right. And it's like, can he be saved? We don't know. Mm-hmm. One of the I and mean, we've talked about this before, we've talked about this with some of our other friends too. And I think it's uh, my friend Melissa said I mean, he maybe needs a Gansey. And he he may mm-hmm. need a Gansey. But the difference too, I think, is Kavinsky's issues stem way back further. You know, Ronan had a very different life until his father was murdered. Um, But at the same time, you look at someone like Ronan, or sorry, you look at someone like Adam, who also had a very traumatic childhood, and he has the benefit of a Gansey, and that is ultimately something that is helpful to him and is a, you know, his friendship is is very valuable and important to him. So I think Kavinsky does have a evoke a lot more sympathy for me on rereads. I think this Mm. is horrible. It makes me very sad when finally Gansey has the exact pig plucked from his dreams. He he's so excited and Kavinsky's like, where are you going? And Ronan says, mm-hmm. wait, you thought it was right, never right going to be you and me. Is that what you thought? It's cruel. Right. As Ronan gets what he wants from him, he's like, peace. And he is bailing and come on. Anyone would be hurt by that. And especially in the kind of callous way that Ronan does it. He's just like, all right, later. And yeah, the way he says that, like, did did you think this was going to be you and it's me? So it is really rough. I don't like it. That is a huge mistake. I mean, Ronan partially helped lay out the <laughs> what was going to come later with his brother getting kidnapped. Obviously, rejecting somebody, even if you do it cruelly, is not fair grounds for kidnapping their sibling. No, but, it's not. But at the same time, Ronan, knowing Kavinsky as well as he really does, yeah, should and could have handled that in a, a little much, bit better. much, much better way. And he like tries to later, and we'll get to that final confrontation. But before we do, what I do like about that moment, though, is Kavinsky says to him, I'll burn you down, Kavinsky said. Ronan's smile was sharp as a knife. He had already been burned down to nothing. You wish. This is some like Phoenix from the ashes shit. Mm-hmm. You know, Ronan has literally, he's gone down to the lowest possible point. And for him, that lowest possible point is taking his best friend's beloved car, wrapping it around a light pole and just feeling total, like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. And so he has been burned on to that point. And now he's going to eventually just be who he's meant to be. And we love to see it. So I also think this is a really important moment for Ronan too, because I think until up until now, Ronan hadn't really decided what his feelings for Kavinsky were going to be. Mm-hmm. And when he says it was never going to be you and me, obviously it's very cruel and everything, but I think it's possible that he didn't know until right then that that was true. He thinks to himself that there had never been the possibility of with, but he had been toying with the idea of Kavinsky for this entire book. Yeah. He had been tempted by him. He had hated him, but been impossibly drawn to him this entire time. But here, after he's actually spent a lot of time with him and he really gets something out of it, and he realizes that it isn't something that he needs or wants. He's seen Kavinsky's method of stealing from dreams, decided that that is not what he wants to do going forward. He has a better way. And, and so in this moment, destructive is given. Right. So, and so now in this moment of complete euphoria from having dreamt like the real replica of the pig 
and and made all these self-realizations, he just kind of offhandedly rejects Kavinsky. I don't think he's really thinking about it, like no, thinking he's it through not. well. He's just kind of filled with his own self-satisfaction at yeah. being like, hey, part of my character arc has been completed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. That's exactly what it is. And again, this co- comes back to the fact that they're just teenagers. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, this, this is yeah. just, they don't have quite the emotional capabilities as we'd like them to. And then, the, so the next confrontation with Kavinsky is at the end of the 4th of July and Matthew's been kidnapped and a lot, it starts off talking about but really quick, Can we talk about the dream? I mean, not the dream, but the Kavinsky's touching Ronan while he is semi-conscious. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, go. So I think in another big moment here is when Kavinsky does touch Ronan when he is semi-unconscious, when he's taken the red pill and he's not quite asleep yet. He later kind of excuses it as, oh, maybe I imagined the whole thing. But Kavinsky leans over and traces Ronan's back tattoo, which is a callback to when Kavinsky did that in a dream and ended up swallowing it. When he comes back mm-hmm. to consciousness, Kavinsky's just doing a line off the windshield or whatever. But it is a callback to Ronan's dream, that part of his dream coming true. And then later in The Raven King, Adam does the same thing, but mm-hmm. obviously in a much <laughs> and in a consenting moment, traces yeah. the tattoo j- just as he did in the dream. You know, that's a really good point, too, about this kind of lack of consent in that moment. And that obviously something that has to come into play and he has to think about Mm -hmm. that. So it's like, it's that on top of, you know, there's a lot of times too, where he's thinking while he's with Kaminsky of Gansey, not just because he just killed Gansey's car, but like, you know, Kavinsky offers him like Coke and he's like, no. And he's like, he could feel Gansey's eyes on him. And he Mm -hmm. also thinks too, right before he says that awful thing to Kavinsky that it was never going to be you and me, you know, he thinks of, of Gansey's voice in his head, you know, the difference between us and Kavinsky is that we matter. So, you know, it's all coming to a head there at that moment. And yeah, but I don't think we can discount the fact that he's being touched in a way that maybe he doesn't want to. He realizes then that that's not like what he wants. And then later, Kavinsky says consent is overrated. Like, yikes, bro. Oh, yeah, that's not great. Tough look for Kavinsky. Tough <laughs> look. So then we do get this final confrontation with Kavinsky. But before we get there, we and what that f- final confrontation is premised on, and a lot of the stuff between Ronan and Kavinsky is premised on, is Ronan's relationship with Gansey. And I just have a lot of feelings about that, too. I mean, the whole scene with Mr. Gray, where Gansey basically it's like please like it's begging silently begging the grandma not to kidnap his best friend just hurts my heart yeah it's beautiful and then when ronin com- confesses that yes I, I did destroy the pig but look it's back and Gansey thinks he's looking at ronin and ronin's face went somber for half a second then it dissolves into an absolutely wonderful and fearless laugh the old ronin lynch's laugh no it was better than that because this new one had just a hint of darkness beneath it this ronin knew there was crap in the world but he was laughing anyway and so gansy at that moment it's so nice to see like he could just be so pissed at ronin and he's going through his own stuff then too and he's just kind of like oh my god my car's back but it was destroyed like what you're telling me all this stuff but i love that moment of realization of oh yeah like ronan is going to be different now i can't get that old ronan back yeah i think that's a moment where he's finally accepting this new ronan and accepting that it that it could be the best version of ronan yeah <laughs> I love and he it. really <laughs> did you just he he like a, a literal he he <laughs> i did <laughs> 
It was involuntary. <laughs> this is what this book does I don't know if I've me. ever heard that in earnest before, like a real hee-hee. I'm, I'm so excited. Only for the Ravens, like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Soft boys with feelings for each other? Oh, my God, I can't. Oh, God, sorry. <laughs> You're welcome, listeners. I love it. You're welcome. Um, I'm so happy. <laughs> I I love that then, too, and how it leads up to the start ch- chapter 61 we could like read this whole thing into the podcast because it's all so good but when ronan finally comes back to kavinsky and they're having this it's fourth of july there's all these people around and ronan's like you don't have to do this you don't have to have this big it it doesn't have to be this way and kavinsky there isn't anything else man yeah ronan says there's reality ronan says to him what's here Kay? nothing no one and Kavinsky says, just us. There was a heavy understanding in that statement amplified by the dream. I know what you are, Kavinsky had said. Ronan replies, that's not enough. And then Kavinsky says, don't say Dick Gansey, man. Do not say it. He is never going to be with you. And don't tell me you don't swing that way. I'm in your head. And Ronan says, that's not what Gansey is to me. And so I <laughs> just love the, the brother, the brothersness of it all. That's the yeah. brotherhood of it all. There we go. And there then Kavinsky says, you didn't say you don't swing that way. Ronan was silent. Thunder growled under his feet. No, I didn't. And that is the first outward acknowledgement that Ronan has made about it. his sexuality. And I, oh, I love it so much. And I love that it comes on the heels of this relation of his friendship with Gansey, because then it goes on to say, that makes it worse, man. You really are just his lapdog. And we talked about the poem at the beginning and we, that is not what Ronan is. And this is what Ronan thinks. There wasn't even a tiny part of Ronan that was stung by the statement. When Ronan thought of Gansey, he thought of moving into Monmouth manufacturing, of nights spent in companionable insomnia, of summer searching for a king, of Gansey asking the gray man for his life, brothers. It's just... I love that passage so much. I, it's so good. And I, I love that. You know, I think a lot of times, too, when people are struggling with their sexuality, I feel like there might be an, an impetus towards feeling like, does this change my relationship with my friends of the same gender if I, I think that I'm gay? Like, what does this mean? So I love that Ronan's first acknowledgement of it comes on the heels of, it's, he's not concerned that that's going to affect his relationship with Gansey. Gansey is his brother. It does not matter yeah. who who Ronan is and who Ronan loves. It, his relationship with Gansey is its own thing. And so I, I really like that there's, it's not even like a doubt in his mind. He's just like, no, this is my brother. Deal. Yeah. Deal. And then Ronan says, life isn't just sex and drugs and cars. And Kavinsky says, mine is. And that's just really, it's sad. Yeah, it's sad. And he, you know, Ronan before that thinks about Kavinsky, the illicit thrill of it, the certainty that Kavinsky didn't let anyone tell him who he was. And that's like ultimately the appeal of Kavinsky, right? But now Ronan is is flipping that back on Kavinsky. He is not letting Kavinsky dictate to him who he is. No, I'm not Gansey's dog. Yeah, I'm Gansey's brother. And you don't get to say that that doesn't have value or that that is somehow a problem because it's not. Oh, I love it. Growth. <laughs> and then he sees he sees Adam in kind of the dream space because Adam is working to put the the ley line or make it stronger in time for Ronan to make something to fight this fire dragon demon thing that Kavinsky has pulled. And Adam says, I know it was you. He said, I figured it out. The rent. He held Ronan's gaze for just a moment longer until something inside Ronan unwound and he almost said something. And I think that unwinding inside Ronan and him 
it seemed like he was right on the verge of telling Adam his feelings for him. And I think that's what gives him the strength because in that moment, he thinks Caveswater didn't have any of its power. He was never going to be able to beat Kavinsky. Kavinsky had Matthew. Ronan's feeling desperate and at a loss right now for what to do. And then Adam shows up. And, and I think that moment, he gives him the strength to create his own dragon to fight Kavinsky's. I love it. <laughs> My voice. <laughs> Here comes. Get ready. Oh, God. <laughs> Can't wait. But, you know, I, that's again, this is when Persephone too says to Adam, you know, your power. Adam isn't about other people. It isn't about other things. Great mm-hmm. stuff. That's exactly what Adam needs to hear. It's it's yeah. who he is. I, I love it so much. And then this this next part. This is what really breaks me. You mm-hmm. know, <laughs> Ronan communing with the with the trees and caves water. He's talking to Opal, orphan girl, and you know, he says, "You know, you know me. Didn't you know my father were both Grey Warrens?" And Opal says to him, "Many thieves, one Grey Warren." That's Ronan is different. Ronan is a good person. He's not going to steal from Caves Water. He's not going to do it. And then it says, "Didn't he know?" Asked Caves Water, but not with words. Hadn't he known it all along? Look, I'm sorry. He said, "I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I had to figure everything out myself, and it took a fucking long time." Okay, please, I can't do it without you. I just I love that moment of realization that he is different than his father who he's venerated mm-hmm. and he's better Ronan, than his father and, and i mean ronan still has so much work to do in terms of uh coming to terms uh with who his father really was but at least here this early he's already understanding that there is a big difference between him and his father yeah and i think that's really important for ronan moving forward and then what they give him in return, when he asks, please, he asks in the language of the trees, say implora, and they mm-hmm. give him the night horse. And he's like, no, this won't help. Even though he knew he couldn't save himself, he couldn't ever seem to convince himself to stop fighting. This won't save anyone. So he's pleading with them at this point. And then the trees say, and this, <laughs> I, can't, I can't, a sword is never a killer. It is a tool in the killer's hand. But the night horrors were not a weapon Ronin could wield. I can't control them, he shouted. They only want to hurt me. But then eventually, Orphan Girl says, it's only you. Whispered Orphan Girl. She was holding his hand, crouched down next to him. Why do you hate you? Ronan thought about it. The albino night horror swept in, talons opening. Ronan stood up, stretching out his arm like he would to chainsaw. I don't, he said. And he woke up. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. That was Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm going to cry. Because it is, is I mean, the best part of the book, I think. And and I love it here because it's like our conclusion. Like, who cares? Yeah, there's a big battle that needs to be fought. But like, this is this is what Ronan's arc has been building towards this entire book, and it's yeah. all come to a head here where he finally he doesn't hate himself, right? And it's oh god, it's just so beautiful. And to just the imagery, so you know, the tree sado, a sword is never a killer; it is a tool in the killer's hand. And he thinks, you know, the sword being the night horse, he can't control them. But it's also the night horrors are him. And mm-hmm. he has been his own worst enemy in so many ways for, for so long throughout these books. And to have that realization that he doesn't hate himself is just. Yeah. And I love so how um, the way that dream things reflect the desires and, and the insides of their dreamers. Like we have Chainsaw and Matthew, like we talked about a little bit earlier, are Ronan's heart, right? Mm-hmm. And then the night, the night horrors are Ronan's self hatred, mm-hmm. and when he and Kavinsky dream their dragons, Ronan notes about 
Kavinsky's that he could feel how it hated him, how it hated Kavinsky too, how it hated the world. It was so hungry. And later the dragon is described as being completely empty inside, nothing but smoke and fire. And this could be a, a completely apt description of Kavinsky himself. Oh yeah, totally. Yep. And then Ronan's dragon, on the other hand, it's born of his self-acceptance, right? And okay. and not his, his self-hatred. Yeah. It's born for his love for his brother and for his friends and Ronan's desire to protect them above all else. Yeah. It's so just... <laughs> yeah, it's it's reflecting Ronan's his, his well-protected inner softness and his light. This astounds me every single time I read it. And what really blows me away too, now that I've like unlocked like all my Adam feelings about this book, is that Adam is right there as all this is happening. You know, they're both going through stuff in this book and they both have an arc, as we talked about, that's almost just as much Adam's book as he is. And, you know, Adam's shouting at him now, Ronan, now, right before Opal says, It's only you. Why do you hate you? So the fact that they have these they're both on this journey and then their magic comes together at the end. Mm-hmm. Adam fixing the ley line and bringing Cape's water back to its full strength to allow Ronan the ability to do this is just, <laughs> this is it's what so makes good. their relationship so special. It's so good. And it it's just like the first instance of Maggie showing us how well these two work together and how powerful they are together. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god i just did it again i did not mean to you, but you, I, you did he he again i did it's just it's god this is what this this series does it just is it's so well done and then they have this final fight and it it is really upsetting you know kavinsky just gives up essentially is what he does i mean he dying is a boring side effect yeah it is really it is really upsetting you know Ronan looks at the fire dragon again, sulfur clouded from its mouth. It was like a deadly cancer, like radiation had teeth, but those were irrelevant. You know, it's just, he's Kavinsky. It's, it's just it at that point. I mean, he can't, there's nothing more to him. There's nothing worth saving. And it, and it's sad because Ronan then still wishes that he could save him. You know, mm-hmm. Ronan could kill Kavinsky. If he stopped Kavinsky, the dragon stopped, but it was one thing to know this solution. It was a very different thing to look at Kavinsky, his arms stretched over his head, fire in his eyes and think I could kill him. And, you know, it's interesting uh, to think about what Persephone tells a- Adam when they're moving these rocks to fix the ley line. And they, there's this dying f- rose, right? Where they need to like move the stone or whatever. And Persephone um, kills it and she says sorry and Adam says well it was already dying and she's like dying and dead are different and mm-hmm. we need to apologize to things that we kill and so I, I like the symmetry of that moment then too that that's what Ronan essentially saying he Kavinsky is it's, that's it it's the end of his line but Ronan can't do it and I that's what yeah. makes Ronan great and but doesn't Ronan think at some point like Kavinsky had been dying since he met him. Exactly. He does. <laughs> and then, you know, Kavinsky's last words, she shouts to Kavinsky, get down, but Kavinsky didn't look away from the two creatures. He said the world's a nightmare. And it's just for him, it is. And it's, mm-hmm. it is a really sad, a sad end to that. But where we end up with Ronan, he has no fear. You know, both beaks chattered. It was a dreadful thing. This night horror impossible to understand, but Ronan was done being afraid. There was no fear left. Just, just the hits keep on coming from Maggie here. <laughs> And then, you know, the night horror flaps away, headed into the night where it was impossible to say, where's Ronan going to go? I don't know. But then this is how I love how this chapter ends, though. Ronan was suddenly unbearably glad to see Gansey and Blue joining him. For some reason, although he had arrived with them, he felt he had been alone for a very long time, and now he no longer was. 
Yeah. Just, just view it. Just, again, it just never ends. It's so good. I this love book it. is really good, you guys. Because it's really good. <laughs> and like, you know, we haven't even talked about how much it means. Like, it's such a good arc anyway. But the fact that it is a gay character having this realization is just, it's really powerful stuff. It means a lot. Yeah. I have that down in my in in my superlatives for best arc. I think it's really it is really important that I and I think that there's a group there's there's like a, a subset of people for for whom this book is is their favorite in the series. A lot of it has to do with uh, whether or not you're LGBTQ, whether or not you've dealt with substance abuse in the past or grief in the past, and to see Ronan's arc come to such a perfect point here and end on such a hopeful high note. I think is is so important and yeah yeah just, his whole his whole journey through this whole book is just so special it's so important and so special and yeah I, I it's why I love it so much yeah I mean I yeah I can't I can't, I can't say more about it because I'll I'll cry because I just it really just mean a lot and I love it mm-hmm. so uh, let's talk then about the epilogue I guess which brings things full circle back to the prologue Ronan's three secrets mm-hmm. so. First secret was himself. He was a brother to a liar and brother to an angel, son of a dream and son of a dreamer. He was a warring star full of endless possibilities. But in the end, as he dreamt in the backseat on the way to the barns that night, he created only this and he changes the will. He dreams a new will so that his he and his brothers can return to the barns, which is great. He's reclaiming, he's acknowledged who he is and he's reclaiming his home, which is where he now can really fully get cooking with his dreams as we'll see in the the next books and he's using that loop loophole that his was his father's last gift to him so there's a sense of closure there too yeah and and this is just you know tattooed on my face as i think when Mm -hmm. i text you and i read it (sighs) running second secret was adam parish (laughs) i just (laughs) (laughs) can't handle it i can't handle it i love them so much adam was different since making the bargain with caves water strong stronger stranger farther away it was hard not to stare at the odd and elegant lines of his face he stood to one side while all the lunch brothers revived their mother then he told them all i have something to show you and then it goes on that uh, adam glanced at ronan eyebrows furrowed as if sensing ronan's eyes on him ronan looked away it's coming guys it's and that's coming. gonna that's gonna become like a a refer a constant refrain in the books is is Ronan lingering a little bit too long while staring at Adam and Adam catching him in the act, just, and it's it's real good. Yeah, and I just really do love. I just have to talk about it again. Like the fact that their relationship is not foreshadowed in the same ways that like Blue and Gansey's is. Mm-hmm. Blue and Gansey's is is fate based. It's romance intention in a, a very clear-cut way adam and ronan are are foreshadowed and, and telegraphed through these this metaphorical magic that they are both able to do this mm-hmm. and it it lays a foundation that is just like really uh, satisfying to me and makes them just like a total power couple in my mind i love it then we got the third secret is this cavern in caves water that is where the lake used to be and that's going to be a big plot point in book three, where uh, Mora's underground and shit's getting real, man. Can't wait. Are we ready to talk about superlatives? I think we are. 
All righty. God, I don't even know. Uh, <laughs> favorite quote. Well, I have a lot. I do think just why do you hate you? And I don't. It's just beautiful. And yeah, I love it a lot. Yeah, I didn't even put it in my favorite quotes because it's it just, is. It is. I could bear I could barely even write about that scene because it is yeah. just so it's so powerful. It, it's so everything. It's right. everything about this book that I love. Yeah. There's that. You wanna do you wanna you have some other ones here? Yeah. Okay, so here's a <laughs> iconic Ronan Lynch moment. I love it so much. He says, You gonna race with with those shades on you Bulgarian mobster jersey trash piece of shit. It's maybe one of my favorite lines ever. It's just so Ronin. It's so extra. The the curses just keep going. Like it's it's beautiful. I understand Adam Parrish when he says that there's something beautiful about Ronin when he cursed. Yeah. This is it, baby. Mm. <laughs> we love it. I have another one, but I'm gonna save it because it deals with the spoon. So Okay. All right. Well, I have one more and it yeah, is, I love this one. we didn't really talk about this, but the whole, uh, or the part of the chapter where Ronan has his last dream about Niall, it's a beautiful closure moment. I think I read once that Maggie said that that was her proudest chapter that she's ever written, uh, that she's oh, most cool. proud of. I completely understand that. I think it's just one of the most beautiful pieces of writing I've ever read. The closure, the the beautiful send off for Niall, who is obviously a very polarizing character He's not great, but Ronan loved him. Yeah. And so that moment is is for Ronan. Ronan said, I want to go back. Then take it, said his father. You know how now. And Ronan did. Because Niall Lynch was a forest fire, a rising sea, a car crash, a closing curtain, a blistering symphony, a catalyst with planets inside him. And he had given all of that to his middle son. Niall Lynch reached his hand out. He clasped Ronan's in his own. The engine was revving. Even while holding Ronan's hand, his foot was already on the gas pedal on the way to the next place. Ronan, he said, and it sounded like he meant to say, wake up. I love it. It's just so good. good. It's really good. It's a really good moment. Really good. A good chapter. Very important for Ronan to have that moment. Favorite character and favorite character arc is, I mean, there's no. Yeah, I already talked about mine. So yeah, it's it's Ronan. It's, it's, it's really important to me. I yeah, I'm gonna, I don't, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> just thinking about it, I just really love where he goes in in mm-hmm. this book, and it's just really well done by Maggie. But she has other great bangers in this book too. I mean, Adam's stuff is is great, as we talked about, and I love the Mister Gray stuff too. It's just a beautiful book, and it's it does stand alone in just great ter- character development for all three of them. But yeah, Ronan's stuff is just yeah. I loved Ronan after the first book, even though we didn't really know anything about him, mostly because he's just a character type that I really just tend to gravitate towards. But then after this book, I was just all in. Yeah. I love him so much. Yeah. He's a good boy. He is a good boy. So let's talk about our favorite Sunworthy moments because, I mean, there's, well, first I'm going to talk about this little baby moment, which is sweet, but it's not like the moment. Um, This is when uh, Mr. Gray brings some some presents over to Mora. He had brought her two things, a daisy chain crown, which he had which he somberly placed on her head and a switchblade, which he handed to her. Both had taken some effort to procure the first because the gray man had forgotten how to efficiently link daisies. And the second, because switchblades were illegal in Virginia, even if they were pink, just (laughs) the idea of a hitman making daisy chain, a daisy crown that he makes himself. I can't. It's great. It's beautiful. So sweet. Yeah. But um, the actual answer to this question is um, all of chapter 51. 
Uh, this is my favorite quote from that chapter. So this is the blue Gansey car chapter. This quote from Gansey is just an all-timer. I wish you could be kissed, Jane, he said, because I would beg just one off you. Under all this, he flailed an arm towards the stars, and then we never say anything about it again. <sighs> it's so oh. beautiful stuff in that chapter. What other good moments are there? You, I think you have a different one, don't you? Yeah, so it's from the same chapter, but... His lips didn't touch her skin, but she felt his breath hot and uneven on her face. His fingers swayed on either side of her spine. Her lips were so close to his jaw that she felt his hint of stubble at the end of them. It was mint and memories and the past and the future, and she felt as if she'd done this before and already she longed to do it again. Oh, help, she thought. Help, help, help. Uh, (laughs) It's just so good. Uh But then just two, I'm just going to keep reading some more of this here. Jane, in this light, he started, you just, Jesus, Jesus, I've got to get my head straight. And he like runs out of the car because he's like overwhelmed. He's like, I'm sorry. That was very rude. He's a (laughs) Gansey and he can't stop being who he is. But then Blue gets out of the car and she's thinking he's going to die. This is going to hurt. But she touched his neck right where his hair was cut evenly above the collar. He was very still. His skin was hot and she could very, very faintly feel his pulse beneath her thumb and then this he closed his eyes and leaned just a little so that her palm was flat on his neck fingers sprawled from his ear to his shoulder everything in blue was charged say something say something gansey lifted her hand gently from his skin holding it as formally as a dance he put it against his mouth blue froze absolutely still her heart didn't beat she didn't blink she didn't she couldn't say don't kiss me she couldn't even form don't he just leaned his cheek in the edge of his mouth against her knuckles then set her hand back i know he said i wouldn't <laughs> that's a third he he for those who've been counting guys i love this book it's too much for me to handle it's too much oh god it's too much for me to handle i just and we also haven't talked about the jane of it all Tasha knows this about me i love a nickname it's like my kryptonite and romance and this one is just so silly it comes from memory. It's just like, I'm just going to call you Jane. And so he does. And then there's like a moment later where he runs into her house and she, he's like, Jane. And then he goes, Blue. And she, that's how she knew something was very seriously was wrong. So he like, it's their term of endearment. And I just adore it. And there's just. I also love here. when you think about it. It's Dick and Jane. Oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So this is a great moment. And it's, it's funny. So I don't know what more to say about it. It's a great yeah. chapter. Great chapter. It's one of those where I go, if I'm like going to go back and reread something, I just read that chapter because mm-hmm. it's nice. A nice precursor to some other great car stuff we got coming in the next book. So, yeah, even better car stuff. If you can <laughs> even it. better car stuff. Lots of fun car stuff going on. The cars are like their own characters in this. I mean, this is Maggie life. Steve Otter, right? Yeah, she loves cars. If you follow yeah. her on any socials, she is a car person. Well, and no, again, I'm not going to apologize for this being long because we knew this would happen. <laughs> and we just love this book a lot. And I hope we, I think we did make some coherent sense about our thoughts on this book. It's just, it's really well done. And, you know, it, it's honestly a miracle that we were able to do it in two episodes and not like 10. Yes. Because, I mean, when you boil it down, this book is the reason why we started this podcast. It really, it truly is. And again, I said this in our first Raven Cycle episode. This goes to show how YA can be for anyone. Because I did not read this book until I was in my 30s. And the fact that I have a, this book 
that means so much to me and the journey of this character means so much to me and I didn't discover it until I was in my 30s and it's about a teenager just goes to show that YA is for everyone I mean it's Mm -hmm. just really astounding stuff so sad to move on but we're not done there's so much good stuff coming and I can't wait to talk about it so on that note next week we will be talking about part one of blue lily lily blue the next book in this series and we are going to be going through chapters one through 25 and we will be joined by another uh, guest on the show my friend Jenna is going to be joining us here another big fan of this series and we're excited to have some outsider perspective on the series going forward Um, I think we have a lot of guests lined up coming forward and uh, so you're just not hearing us squeal <laughs> and saying hee hee about the series over and over again we've got others who can come and do that now too so we're really excited to talk about them um in the meantime tasia where can our listeners find you on the internet you can find me on instagram and twitter at ragey cakes and i'm on instagram at rin underscore reads you can find the podcast on instagram and twitter at act age you can also shoot us an email at act age pod at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you your thoughts on this series thoughts on anything really we would again love to hear from you and then if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing us on apple podcasts or wherever you podcast that would be very helpful to us get us up in those search results so please take a moment every day to do that we love it thank you thank you other than that we'll see you next week Bye. Bye.